Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. It's time now to welcome our main speaker for this evening, Canon Andrew White. Canon White, also known as the Vicar of Baghdad, is the pastor of the only Anglican church in Iraq, St. George's in Baghdad. And for many years, he's had an extensive peace-building and reconciliation ministry in the Middle East, notably being involved with the siege of Bethlehem in Israel in 2002. He's the author of nine books, the most recent of which is here and at the bookstall along with one or two others called Faith Under Fire and this uh, won the Ultimate Christian Library uh, Book Award this year and I think his previous book won it last year. So they're there tonight, I think seven pounds is the price. He is also the founder and president of the Foundation for the Relief and Reconciliation of the Middle East as well as all that. He's married and has two children. So let's welcome now Canon Andrew White. Thank you, Lord, that you're here. Thank you that your glory is in this place, that your majesty is in this place, that your Holy Spirit is in this place. Come and speak to each of us tonight, we pray. Amen. Amen. We start every service in Iraq with the words, Allahumana, which means the Lord is here. And everybody shouts back to you. His spirit is with us. So, the Lord is here. Great, I can start now. (laughs) It's wonderful to be with you all this evening. It's wonderful to be in Ulster. I love this place. And I have to be honest to you. I've never heard of the Bangor Mission Convention. (laughs) I know it's really important, but I didn't know it was important. (laughs) I'm learning. But I came here tonight not because Release International came to Baghdad and a brilliant organisation are here, but I came because I was trained by an Ulsterman. The reason I'm in Baghdad is because of an Ulsterman. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Before I come to the Bible, I do believe in the Bible. I might be an Anglican. I still believe in it. I'll come on to that moment. I'll just tell you about a little about myself. I didn't start off my life as a preacher. I started off my life, well, I'll tell you, when I was 10 at school, the teacher said to us, what do you want to do when you grow up? 
And I said to her, I want to do anaesthetics and be a priest. <laughs> she said, you can only do one thing. And she said, you can't be a priest anyway because you're strict Baptist and Pentecostal and they don't have priests. She didn't know I was going to become an Anglican. But one day, you know, I was working as ODP in anaesthetics at St. Thomas's Hospital in London where I did my training. And one day, between cardiac arrests, I went outside in the garden to do my praying. And I thank God so much that he had sent me where I always wanted to go. I only wanted to go to one hospital, and I was there. So I said, thank you, Lord, so much that you've put me where I've always wanted to be. Then I said something really dangerous. I said, what next, Lord? And I can guarantee, she said to me really clearly, I want you to go in the Church of England. I said, but they're not even saved. <laughs> but God always gets his way. So I went through my selection procedure and then went off to Cambridge to the vicar factory. <laughs> you know, where you go in an ordinary person and you come out a minister. <laughs> I went there. And when I went there, you know, they taught you all this Cambridge theology all the time and it was really boring. But there was one good thing. On Sunday, you were allowed to go to church. <laughs> and you were assigned a church, and you were assigned somebody who would train you. I had an Ulsterman. <laughs> he was the best preacher I've ever heard. He taught me how to preach, and he taught me never to have any notes, so I don't. <laughs> He's the best preacher I've ever heard, and he doesn't have notes, so why do I need them? So, this preacher, who was an Ulsterman, he was a bit like me now. He had a price on his head. And they were trying to kill him. So it was a good introduction. <laughs> he was a Presbyterian who became an Anglican. <laughs> and God still loved him. <laughs> Do any of you know who I mean? The Reverend David Armstrong from Limavadi. <laughs> he trained me. 
That's why I wanted to come here to Ulster. I walked down here tonight, walked into the pastor's study, and there he was, my teacher, David Armstrong. with his dear wife, June, and he honestly taught me all I knew. And he taught me not to take care, but take risks. <laughs> and that's what I want you to learn tonight. Don't take care. Don't go up to people and say, take care. Say, take risks. So I was telling my staff who are here with me tonight, on the way here, I was telling them about David Armstrong and how he trained me and he preached at our wedding and I was really so inspired by that Ulsterman. So thank you for getting me to Baghdad. We'll talk a little about the church in a moment, but my church is the best in the world. <laughs> this church can be the second best, <laughs> but mine is the best. Now, the Bible says a lot about Iraq. It doesn't name it as Iraq. It's either called the land between the rivers, Mesopotamia, or it's called Ashori, the land of the Assyrians. And right from Genesis chapter 2 to Revelation chapter 18, you can find it. Did you know that? You did, good. <laughs> Just making sure they're teaching you properly. <laughs> See, the Garden of Eden was in Iraq. Genesis chapter 2 talks about the four rivers that watered Eden. There was Avila, Gihon, the Tigris, and the Euphrates. We live by the Tigris. It's still there. It's a big river. And did you know that there's one person in the Bible, only one, who has been in Iraq, Israel, and Egypt. And Isaiah 19 says the Lord is building a highway from Assyria, ancient name for Iraq, through to Egypt via Israel. 
and one person has been to all three in the Bible. Who is it? Can't hear? Abraham. Who said Abraham? <laughs> Give him one of my books as a prize. <laughs> I give books as a prize. <clears throat> and God said to Abraham, 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 in Ur of the Chaldeans, which is in Iraq, he said, I will make you a great people. And he sent him to the land he had never heard of, the land of Cana. And in Genesis chapter 12, we read, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And that verse is often used by those who are very supportive of Israel. But he was from Iraq, went to Israel, and then they had a little famine in Israel. So he went to Egypt. And God provided for him. Now, I can't go through every passage involved with Iraq in the Bible, but I'll go through several. One of the earliest people in the Bible who was from Iraq was Ayub. You call him Job. I was driving back from Ezekiel's tomb via Babylon one Wednesday afternoon, as you do. <laughs> and I saw this huge shrine. And I said to the soldiers who look after me, I said, whose shrine is that? Oh, they said, Ayub. I said, I didn't know Job was in Iraq. So I got back to my room in Baghdad, and I thought I'd better read the book of Job and see if it's true, if there's anything which gives the key. So I got out the book of Job and started reading. And I didn't have to read far. I got to chapter two, two of Job, and it says, while the donkeys were grazing nearby, the Sabians attacked Job's people, and they killed them. The only Sabians are in Iraq. And then it says, just 
in verse 17 of chapter 2. Whilst they were still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who escaped. So that was definitely Iraq, without any doubt. But the wonderful thing about Job, if I was to tell you my one favorite verse in Scripture, I love all of them, but in Job, chapter 42, verse 5, it says, My ears had heard of you, but now... My eyes have seen you. Before, O oh Lord, my ears had heard of you. But now, my eyes have seen you. And that is one thing that all of us need to hold close to our heart. Not just to hear about God but to see him. And when we see him, we shall be like him. And we will be changed forever. You see, Abraham was told that there would be this highway going from Ashur, Syria, down to Egypt by Israel. Isaiah 19 says, In that day, Israel will be the third along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. Look, if we take seriously the word of God, it's not just for past, it's for present. When God speaks to us through Scripture, about these wonderful things, we know he is speaking to us now. And so, we need to all live abundant lives. We have to live in the power of God, in the majesty of God. We have to know that he is doing great things in us and through us and will change the world through us. When I left Cambridge, I went to be a curate in Battersea in London. Then I went to be a vicar in Clapham. 
And then I was sent to Coventry. <laughs> Literally to Coventry Cathedral. And I was made a canon there in charge of international reconciliation. And the first thing I said I needed to do was to work in the Middle East, to go to Iraq and Israel and Palestine. So I did. Very interesting story how it happened, but it happened all by God. But it was quite interesting because the week I got to Coventry, I got a little ill. And they put me in hospital, and the hospitals in Coventry are pretty awful. <laughs> They're not like your hospitals here. <laughs> and five weeks later, the doctor came to me and said, Canon White, I'm delighted to tell you that we know what's wrong with you. <laughs> he said, you've got multiple sclerosis. My wife was greatly pregnant at that time. So in the morning, I learned I had MS. And in the evening, my wife had our second child. And it was very interesting because you can think what a disaster that was or you can think God was showing me exactly what my life was going to be like. Joy and tragedy, both together. So, I continued... I got to Iraq eventually. And the person who I really respected from Scripture who had been in Iraq was none other than Daniel. I don't just mean the stories from Sunday school days of Daniel thrown to the lions. He was 79 when that happened. But they didn't eat him up. But one of the wonderful things from Daniel is that you see that Daniel was where God wanted him to be. Daniel didn't tell his teacher at school when I grow up, I want to translate dreams in Babylon. <laughs> no, he probably said, I want to be a priest in Jerusalem. That's what my family does. We are a priestly family in Jerusalem. But God got him where he wanted him. The most important thing for all of us is to be where God wants us to be. For me, that might be in Iraq. For you, 
That might be in Northern Ireland. And the one advantage that I can see in being in Northern Ireland is that the shortbread is better. <laughs> it's the best I ever had this afternoon. But Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2, went to bed at night and he prays to God, help me, Lord, understand the king's dream. What is the, dream, the king dreaming about? And when he was asleep, God spoke to him and Daniel said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. Finally, in verse 23, he says, You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Strange thing to ask God for. I need to know Nebuchadnezzar's dream. But God answered him. We need to ask of God to give us what we need. I ask him all the time in my work in Iraq, to give me what I need, and I need a lot. A huge amount. And I always ask for it, and God always gives it. I remember when I was at the Vicar Factory <laughs> in Cambridge, there used to be a lady who was married to the Dean of Trinity who used to teach us how to pray. And she used to see us most weeks and she said to me, what have you asked for this week? What happened? And it was always important to ask God for something every week because she taught us that this gave God the opportunity to show you his love by answering your prayers. And so, when you're in the place where God wants you to be, ask. That's what Daniel did. How did Daniel live a fulfilled life in Babylon? He asked of God, and God replied. I never forget the day once in church in Baghdad, and it was nearly Christmas, and I was telling the children 
I said to them, I want to tell you about the place where Jesus first went to, where he came from, Bethlehem. They put up their hand. They said, Abuna, Jesus didn't come from Bethlehem. And then another little boy, Yusuf, said to me, Jesus wasn't first in Bethlehem. I said, no, where was he? He was here in Iraq. What, in Babylon? Yes, in Babylon. So I said, why? They said to me, do you remember Misha, Shadrach, and Abednego? When they were thrown in the flames, there was the fourth person with them. It was Jesus. Oh, I thought, oh, with children like this, you don't need adults, do you? <laughs> And then Yusuf continued, remember Daniel saw the Son of Man over the Tigris? That's there. That was Jesus. Oh, I thought, great. <laughs> Can't deny that one. So we want to live abundant lives. We have to be where God has called us to be. For most of you, it's here. But for some of you, it may be somewhere else. You know, I told you that I was really trained by an Austerman. Well, he was only in England because they were trying to call him here. But if he wasn't there, I wouldn't be where I was nowadays. And so we need to realize that God's plan is so big and so international. You might hear me on the radio and see me on television and think it's all right for him. Yes, it is. But it's all right for you as well. Just where you are now, God wants to use you mightily. Don't be satisfied with the little things of life. Go for it. Be big. Be bold. Wasn't there a song like that? <laughs> How'd it go? You're the worship group. <laughs> How'd it go? Be bold. Be strong. For the Lord our God is with you. Be bold. Be strong. For the Lord our God is with you. I am not afraid, I am not dismayed, for I'm walking in faith and victory, yes, walking in faith and victory, for the Lord our God is with you.
Now, I thought all of you were really good there. I didn't think the worship group were very good. Because they just looked. So, I'm going to do some more later. And this time, you're going to help, all right? Thank you. So, Daniel, people often say to me, how is it that you have got so many Christians in Iraq and so many Christians in Baghdad? I have four and a half thousand in my church. So it's quite good. We can't fit them all in. <laughs> Bit like here. <laughs> it says in the Bible, thou shalt not covet. But I covet this church. <laughs> Never mind. Now, we have so many Christians, not because some boring preacher has got up and preached, but because one day... God sent to us a really miserable evangelist. And he sent him by a submarine. And he came to Nineveh. <laughs> or Nineveh, as we say. I met somebody this afternoon... And like all of our Christians, he was from Nineveh. Are you here? Is there anybody from Nineveh here? <laughs> Nobody from Nineveh? Oh, there is. Oh, that must be late, don't I? <laughs> See, late is from Nineveh because he is a Christian, and all of our Christians come from Nineveh because of that miserable evangelist. <laughs> it was interesting hearing about Jonah tonight. Do you know what Jonah says in chapter 4? I knew that you are a great and compassionate God, quick to flee from anger, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, let me die. <laughs> Take away my life. It's better to die than live. The last thing Jonah says is he wants to die. But God specializes in spending, sending miserable people to Iraq. <laughs> he sent Jonah, he sent me. <laughs> and 700 years after Jonah, he sent another miserable guy. Who knows who? I don't mean you from Nineveh, I mean anybody else. Any answers? 
No. Who's the most miserable person in the New Testament? Knowing that we specialize in miserable people. Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas stopped off in Nineveh on his way to India. We call him Martoma. And he found all these people who believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, did you know that your Messiah had come yet? No, they said, we didn't know that. Nobody's told us. So he told them, and they all believed. To this day, everybody in my church is from Nineveh. To this day, Nineveh is Christian. Did you know that? Had you ever been told that? Well, make sure your pastors do their education properly. <laughs> Everybody should know that Nineveh is alive with the Spirit of God. That is really important. Can you imagine Jonah going to Nineveh and 2,700 years later it still believes in the true God. That is wonderful news. That is really exciting. That should give us hope. If God can do that, he can do anything. My God can do anything. Because he's a big, big God. And soon, and very soon, I'm going to see him. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon. We are going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going to see the King. No more crying there. We are going to see the King. No more crying there. We are going to see the King. No more crying there. We are going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going to see the King. And so in the best church in the world, we had bombs and rockets all around us all the time. We had threats. We are surrounded by razor wire. When I got back there, I was working there from 1995, but after that little war which happened in 2003, we reopened the church. 
and the only sign of life in the church was the pigeons. And half of them were dead. <laughs> so we started our church. First week, 100. Second week, 200. Third week, 300. Fourth week, 400. And I began to think, this is a rather good growth rate. And I'm not having to go out and do any door-to-door -door work to get people in. You can't exactly walk down the road. First Alpha course I did at the church. First week we had over 600 sign up. Second week, well over 1,000. Third week I thought no more signing up. We just started it. We had 2,700 people. Ever tried to do an alpha course with 2,700? <laughs> it's interesting. So, I do all the religious sectarian work. I do all the church work. I look after the embassy chapels of the British and the Americans. But when I started the church, I said to God, what do I need to do for our people? He said, you've got to provide all their needs. Don't just talk about it. Don't just preach about it. Do it. So I said, yes, Lord. So, we started feeding everybody. Everybody comes to church, after church, they get a bag of groceries for the week. The next thing God said to me, they need health care. It's terrible. So I started a clinic in the church hall. It's good use of a church hall. But... You know, I started with just two doctors and one dentist, and it kind of grew and grew. We now have four dentists, two dental surgeries, four doctors, a pharmacy, all the medicines are free, a laboratory, an x-ray unit, but that's not all. With Daniel, when Daniel was where God wanted him to be, he made sure all his needs were met. God enabled Daniel to do everything he had to by answering his dreams and enabling him. And when God calls us to do something, he promises not only to answer all of our spiritual needs, but all of our physical needs. We require to do what he has called us to. Now, I had a shoddy body. Mine wasn't very good. I had MS. And one day, a friend of mine, who is a hematologist, a professor of hematology at... Um, Baghdad University Hospital, 
He came and he said, Andrew, you're getting worse. I need to make you better. I thought, I've heard lots of people say that before. He said, no, I've looked it up on Google. <laughs> so I said, good. What do I need? He said, do you need stem cell treatment? I said, I've major ethical in concerns about that. I'm not going to have any embryo or fetal cells implanted in me. Oh, he said, no, I've learned from Google that you can take your own blood and remove the stem cells. So I said, oh, really? Have you done it before? He said, no. <laughs> I said, when do you want to do it? He said, tomorrow. <laughs> I said, fine, okay then. As long as there's nothing unethical about it. So he took my blood, put it through a blood cell separator and injected the stem cells into my spine. The next day, I was better. I was okay. So now, a few years later, after doing it at the hospital regularly, we now have the top stem cell treatment center not in Iraq, in the world. We have, we have patients coming to us for treatment from England and America. Now, all the time, these people in my congregation and patients could say, oh, I need to go to England for treatment. I need to go to America. And they're coming here. Because that's God. And God has provided everything. I couldn't have done what I'm doing now without my treatment. Where is my treatment? Just outside my room, down the path in the church. Ever thought of having stem cell treatment in church? <laughs> really good. It works. You get your people praying for you, and you get the doctors doing it. And God is there. Because the Lord is there, and his spirit is with us. And we are surrounded by devastation. I have about 35 security guards provided by the Iraqi government, police and army. Everywhere I go, they come with me. And did I tell you how many of my people have been killed? I've had, in the past three years, 279 of my congregation killed. 
all the time. They are killed. People are killed. People are tortured. My chief of security had his legs blown off. And yet, our church is the happiest church I've ever had. It's so happy because we have lost everything. And when you have lost everything, Jesus is all you have left. He is everything. He who was nothing has become our everything. And one of the things we do is we look after the Mother Teresa home in Baghdad. Most of our children there have got no arms and no legs. They have really suffered. Many of them have been injured by the depleted uranium which was dropped in 1990 and 91. And as I walk in and I see these children, it's wonderful because they say to me, we need nothing. We've got everything. They don't actually say it like that. They are the only Iraqi children who speak English. But they say it like this, we need nothing, we got everything. (laughs) Because all their sisters are Indian. (laughs) So they talk with an Indian accent. (laughs) But as I walk in, They all look at me and they start singing. And they start singing this. Going to show me? Soon and very soon. No, son, that one. (laughs) There is joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Well, there is a joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Well, and I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. I've got that peace of passes understanding down in my heart. Well, well, got the peace of passes understanding down in my heart. Well, and I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. So that's what the children sing to me. And that's what we can only sing two songs in English in our church. 
That is the first one. <laughs> and the second one will come a bit later. <laughs> now, would you like to see some pictures of our church? Yes. Can we see some pictures of our church? Can I see them? <laughs> Can I sit down and see them? <laughs> Good job I couldn't see that video because it was the wrong one. <laughs> Never mind. At least you've got a little feel of what it's like. Clinic, school, bombs and love. Because we know that the Lord is here and his spirit is with us. So we do not fear, we never fear, because perfect love casts out all fear. And I have received that perfect love from the children. One of my books I think we've got, they've got two of my books on the bookshelf, but we've got another book called Suffer the Children, which is not just my story, but the children telling their story. And they're telling the story about how Jesus has changed their life and how Jesus is central to their life and how they do not fear because Jesus is there with them. And so that is a wonderful thing. Yes, it might all be desperate there. Things may be terrible, but we are so happy. Last night, watching the Paralympics, 
I saw one of our little boys from Mother Teresa home swimming for Australia. <laughs> because one day an Australian lady came by and took him and said, I'll make you better. And his brother one, Australia's got talent for singing, and his brother, Ahmed, is now swimming in the Paralympics. And that is a wonderful example of how people who had nothing can become something. When you love them, when you protect them, when you give them everything they need. We in our church, we need a budget of $177,000 every month. I don't know where that's coming from. I don't have 177 under my bed. But every month, God sends us what we need. Only one month, we didn't have enough money. But that month, we got blown up. <laughs> blew up the church, blew up the clinic. There were pictures of it there. And then everybody started sending us money. <laughs> so if you've got a building project on, <laughs> just let me know. And I might be able to get some of my friends down to visit you. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing. But God makes sure everything works for him in his glory. Now, don't be miserable. You know, like preachers, sometimes you go to church on Sunday and you listen to boring sermons. No way. God isn't like that. He's not boring. He's the kind of person who can send you to Babylon if you're not good. <laughs> He's the kind of person who will do miracles for you all the time if you need them. I must need them really, really badly because every day we see them. God is everything for us. Yes, Daniel may have been where God wanted him and he didn't go back when Cyrus sent the people back to Israel. He never went, he stayed because he was where God wanted him to be. You be where God wants you to be. That is how you have the abundant life. That is how you have the life that Daniel had. Expect great things. Ask great things. And God will do great things. Now, 
I better shut up soon, otherwise I'll be just a boring preacher. <laughs> but I need to sing a song. <laughs> this is very un-Anglican. But it's old. So if you're under 60, you won't know it. In my heart there rings a melody, there rings a melody of heavenly harmony. In my heart there rings a melody, there rings a melody of love. Jesus, 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 sweetest Now, is there anybody here under 50 who knows that song? Yes. Who? You do. Anybody else? Oh, good. So that's about four or five of you. Well, all of us who are a bit older... Do you want to stand up and sing it? And even you young ones who know it. In my heart there rings a melody, there rings a melody of heavenly harmony. In my heart there rings a melody, there rings a melody of love. Jesus, Jesus, Starter. Now we sing it properly. And sorry? You start. In my heart there is a melody. Rings a melody of heavenly harmony. In my heart there is a We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.